Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. If you feel blessed, then I feel blessed. And if we're all blessed, everybody's blessed. You're blessed in your coming, you're blessed in your going. Everywhere you go, every place your foot would tread is blessed of Him. Do you know, something that's always intrigued me as a kid was the question uh, around royalty. What does, what does it feel like? What does it look like to be royal? To have all the wealth and prosperity, to have all the glitz and glamour, to have all the attention, the popularity, the authority, and the power. Now, I'm not talking about Desperate Housewives of Melbourne. I'm talking about real royalty. What if you got to ask for anything that your heart desired? What if you got told you could ask for anything? Take a couple of seconds to think about what your response would be. What would you ask for? Imagine the dream that goes past people's minds and hearts when the Powerball, Lotto Powerball draw thing comes up. Imagine, I don't know, are you like me? Like often I look at the sailboat, you look at the big house, you look at the, you know, so all of the trappings that come with winning Lotto and you kind of think, that'll never be me. Lately, we've had so much media coverage around the royal family. Actually, they're always in the, in the media, right? So either someone's being born, someone died, someone's getting married, someone's having a baby. This queen's birthday, like I said earlier, it's not actually Her Majesty's actual birthday. But we get to celebrate and receive favor in terms of a day off. This morning, church, this is 10 a.m., right? Okay, cool. I want you to be responsive because opening your mouth and coming into agreement with His Word changes things. So the extent of your response, I'm believing this morning, will be the extent of what you will receive. So let's take a snapshot this morning. Let's take a selfie and today. And we're talking about a very well-known biblical family. I have a plan this morning. Here's my plan. We would have an, an overview look. We would dissect the facts and dissect the verses. We would ask some questions about ourselves. We would God, ask God for answers. We would make a response. And then we would take away some truth, and some tools. Is that good? Sounds like a good plan. 
Um, our text this morning, let me just set up a background so that you um, understand. I'm, not assume, I'm assuming that everybody in the room, we're not all biblical scholars, and um, I'm not assuming that everybody's on the same part of the journey. So let me just give a quick background of the text we're going to study this morning. The main characters, number one, main actor, God. He needs no more introduction. Second, King David. If you still remember from Sunday school, King David was the guy who slayed the big giant Goliath. Well, he becomes king. And in this story, he's an old man. Later, he dies. And then there's his son, King Solomon. Solomon is one of King David's sons. Good. So we kind of have a good snapshot of who the main characters are. Now, like any good Hollywood movie, this passage is full of action. Highs and lows, suspense, good storyline. In fact, this royal family, Jesus is actually a descendant of King David. So there's our connection. In 1 Kings particularly, that's not our text, but I'll just set, a picture, set the picture up for you. King David's family is plagued with conspiracy, there's theories, there's murders, and lots of action. One of his sons set himself up as king. Actually, he pretty much made himself king. Next minute, he did. Solomon is made king by his father, David. He is blessed and is anointed by the priests. In chapter 2 of 1 Kings, David gives his last king's speech and gives specific instructions to his son Solomon about some expectations. In verse 10, King David dies. Solomon establishes his kingdom, taking care of business. If you read chapter 2, you know what that means. He marries... Uh, a Pharaoh's daughter, so from, from Egypt, forms an alliance. Now, let me just do this. Most of you in this room, most of us in this room, we're not related by blood or birthright, right? Here's the thing. We form an alliance because we've been related through marriage. That's how we're related. Because the church is the bride of Christ, Right? And Christ is the bridegroom, so we are related through marriage. Often my friends would say to me, because I'd introduce like anyone from church to another friend who's not from church, and I'll just say, oh, here's my brother, you know, here's my brother Reese, here's my brother Nick, and they're like, maybe I need to go to Specsavers, but there's a different shade of chocolate between the two of you. And so often... I've, I've tried to explain how we are related, and now I do. Now I know. We're related through marriage. That's how we're related. Johnny, that's how we're related, through marriage. That's so cool. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're related. <laughs> we're family. 
we're family and we're family. I think the context of calling ourselves family is that, is that we're related through marriage. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I hope you've got your Bible this morning. Open your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. And we're going to read the word of the Lord. And in chapter 3, we're starting at verse 1, moving to verse 15. I've already given you some context, so let's just jump to verse 3, because now Solomon is already married. I've told you that. Pharaoh's daughter, Alliance, we're married. We are related through marriage. Good? Verse 3. Solomon showed his love for the Lord, walking in according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. Verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and, the, and, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, your father, my father David, because he has been faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Verse 7. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? We'll park there. We'll come back to that. Let's just break it down. Verse 2. Even though they'd been through a lot, Solomon and his kingdom, the people kept offering sacrifices. Like, you should read chapter 1, chapter 2, the amount of chaos that happened. The people kept offering sacrifices to God, even though they didn't have a temple. Would you continue to worship even if you didn't have a comfy seat? Would you continue to worship even though there was no music? Would you continue to worship if there was no heater? In this room, would you continue to offer a sacrifice even though you didn't get paid this week? Verse 3 Solomon showed that he loved God by following his dad's instructions to love God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. How did he show his love for God? By turning up when it mattered. He turned up not just because there was something that that they did. He turned up to offer a sacrifice. When we come together, when we gather together, 
the main thing we are here to do is offer our lives as a living sacrifice to God. Let me say that again. The main reason we come and meet together is not for ourselves. It's to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to Him. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Verse 4. Now Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings to God in Gibeon in the presence of many commanders, judges, high officials, state leaders, and heads of families. How many of you know that if Barack Obama was to turn up to New Zealand, who his entourage would be? Like even before he would turn up, the SWAT team would kind of go and check for bugs and bombs and any potential hazard, right? So you imagine the king rolling into the, into the high places to offer a sacrifice. Can you imagine the activity that's happening when the king turns up? It's a wonder for me, like, when we turn up to Sunday morning, there's a hustle, there's a bustle, there's, there's, there's all these preparations that's happening. The hosting team are gathering together and like, man, when we greet people today, let's greet people like we're serving Jesus himself. When the musicians are rehearsing this week, they're kind of thinking through, because the King is coming, the King is coming, the King is coming. As you prepare yourself to come to worship, you're, you're bathing and you're, you're combing your hair and you're putting on your makeup because you're preparing to come and see the King. We cannot just turn up unprepared. When the king arrives, everybody knows because they're expectant. Verse 5. So, hang on. Go back to verse 4. So, Solomon places an offering. So, a thousand burnt offerings. I don't know if I don't know if you can like really if we in this modern day actually can conceive what what the picture would be. I tried to imagine it last night. I was thinking, oh, what would that look like? Like a thousand burnt offerings? Or would that be like a Fijian wedding? Like preparing for a feed? Hmm. Would there be like a tangi? Would that be like like a twenty first birthday? It's nothing like it. 1,000 burnt offerings. How many of you know, sometimes we come to God and we have our little altar. And we're like, oh, God, here's my, here's my offering. Here's what I'm giving you. How many of you know you get to choose how, what the size of your altar is? No one chooses for you what the size of your altar is. If the sacrifice is a thousand, I gotta find enough space to fit a thousand. Are you catching it this morning? It's not the size of the altar that matters, it's the size of the offering. It's the size of the offering. Can you imagine the priest? Next. Everything's just burning. This is this the smell. Can you come with me? There's the smell of burnt <laughs> offerings. Mm. That's like the best braai ever. Come on, somebody. And then verse 5, 
God appears to King Solomon. Hmm. And God says this, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Pause. You what? Did God just say, ask for anything you want me to give you? We've got to back it up. How did he get that question for a request? Go back to the altar. Go back to the sacrifice. At this place, this place at the altar opens up the door for the offer. It's in this place. Whatever's been laid down, whatever's been put to death, opens up the opportunity for the offer. I don't know whether you caught that, but whatever you place on the altar, whatever you kill on the altar, opens up the opportunity for an open heaven. I'm not talking about a window. And when we talk about heaven, I mean, I, I've never been there, have you? Like, what's, what's, our, what's our picture of what heaven looks like? Because your picture of heaven will define what you're going to receive. So it's about the altar. And it's about your ability to hear. There's good news. <laughs> Solomon gives a great big offering. <laughs> then he finishes church. And then he goes back home to his royal residence. Let's just back it up one more step. He loved God. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. <laughs> you know, often we want to hear from God without laying down a sacrifice. You got to hear my heart on that one. Why are you asking for something that you didn't sacrifice? Why are you asking for something that you think you deserve? God is not a genie in a bottle. God is not Santa Claus. God is king. When we gather, the first couple of songs that we do, we call that praise. If you're not familiar with praise, at Equippers, we always start with praise because we believe that it's the sacrifice of praise that brings breakthrough. Sometimes, I kid you not, I actually don't feel like jumping. Sometimes, I actually don't feel like being friendly. Sometimes I don't actually feel like being at church. <gasps> but I believe is that my praise brings breakthrough. And so here's the thing. 
We've dragged ourselves out of bed. We're in the room. Why are we holding back? Why are we holding back? You're not praising to me, and you're certainly not praising to the team. We are praising the King of Kings. I learned a new word this week. I was like, oh my goodness, I thought I knew everything. But I didn't. Um, so these, okay, umbrella of grace. Because I did not, maybe everyone in the room knows this. I just found out in the car on Friday, right? So there's introverts and there's extroverts and then there's ambiverts. Okay, that doesn't exist in the kingdom. Because kingdom works anywhere. Like we heard last week, we passed the same seed. Shyness is not a fruit of the Spirit. You cannot be shy to someone who you need to be familiar with. Here's another truth. God loves everyone that He has created. So all created things, He loves. Yep, that includes the saved and the unsaved. That includes your workmates who are cussing at you during the week. God loves them. And if He loves them, you ought to love them too. Ooh. Yes, even them. That's, that's the truth. Do you even wonder how come some unsaved people prosper? Do you even wonder that? Like, how come I'm the one that's suffering and you're the one that's prospering? Have you ever, put your hand up. Have you ever asked that question? Why is it that my non-Christian neighbor is thriving and doing so well and here I am so miserable and cold and wet? Here's a principle that works for the saved and the unsaved. You work hard, you will prosper. You don't have to be a Christian to know that. It's the principle of God. You work hard, you will prosper. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. Works in the kingdom and out of it. You have to work. But... But like King Solomon, when you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, here's the difference. So you can work hard and prosper, or you can love God with everything that you are. And here's the, here's the thing. Here's the bonus. Not only will you prosper, but you get a direct line. I'm sorry. Not only... Will you just prosper? But if you love God with all that you are, you get a direct line to the throne room. When was the last time you got to chat to the governor general? Who's got them on speed dial on your phone? No one. And so often we get intimidated by famous people because... We get intimidated, but you have got, we have got, I have got direct access to the very throne room of God so that when I ask for anything, He hears me. 
You don't call up heaven and you get, um, I'm very sorry. We're quite busy at the moment. Please leave a message and one of my angels will get back to you as soon as we can. Bye. Click. No. Guarantee he hears you. Now, you can kind of dissect it a bit more and you kind of go, well, he doesn't answer my prayer. God says, I heard you the first time. Why are you asking? Why are you asking? You see, the sacrifice of a thousand offerings, burnt offerings, by human standards is pretty impressive. Right? So you go and buy a thousand kettle and you bring it, slaughter them, sacrifice them. Whoa! Only the king could do that because he's got all the money in the world, right? You see, God was more pleased with the attitude of his heart than what he burnt up. It doesn't matter what you place on the offering altar, on the sacrifice. God wants to see your heart. If your heart is right, you can put the smallest drumstick on that chicken drumstick. And if your heart is right, it's acceptable. It's not the size of your sacrifice that matters. It's the positioning of your heart. Let's keep moving. Verse 6. Solomon responds, right? And as he responds, he calls himself a child. Can you imagine Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth saying in her, I think she's 90-something. Oh, thank you. Um, as, as, imagine her saying, but I'm only a child. Now, her family would be like, um, okay, it's Last birthday for you, girl. No, right? Imagine if she'd said that. Now, here's the interesting thing. Solomon, king, speaks of himself as, as a child. I'm, I'm, I'm only a child. Humility trumps age and experience hands down. I don't care what you know. I don't care where you come from, but you don't get to do that and stay standing, offer a sacrifice and stay standing, but we've got to approach the throne of grace with humility. Because, how many of you know this? You may be a king, but you're still under authority. You may be a teacher in your school, but you're still under authority. You may be a dad in your home, and you're the man but you're still under authority. I am under authority. There's a freedom that comes when we're under authority. That's why Christians need to be free. Christians need to look free. Hello? It doesn't matter how high you think your position is. It doesn't matter your intelligence. It doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter how many friends you have on Facebook your experience of field work, your birthright, when you break it down, we still come under his rule and reign. King Solomon understood that in order to be in authority, he must be under authority. To be entrusted with many, he had to trust in the one. King Solomon says to God, your majesty, 
You're the King of Kings. I submit myself to you. How's your humility this morning? How is your humility this morning? Look at verse 9. God answers, um, God, uh, Solomon asks, answers God's question with an offer. And an and, and offer. So the, this is the first thing he says. There's two things he says. Give your servant a discerning heart in order that he might govern his people. And secondly, the ability to distinguish between right and wrong. How many of you think that's real simple? I thought it was simple. I was like, dude, you could ask for anything. But he didn't. Can you imagine what leading this great people would be like? So Moses led them out of, the, of Egypt in the wilderness, da 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 Joshua, da-da-da, and they all come through the ages. Millions of people. Can you imagine being the king? Can you imagine the hate mail that would come because he decided he wasn't going to do something? Can you imagine people's opinions of him? You've just got to read the tabloids. Back in the day, it'll be tablets, but the daily, oh, dad joke. Can you imagine the front page of the, uh, of the tabloids? The king wasted a thousand beasts in an offering. The king uses taxpayer money and burns it all up when there are hungry people around the place. Can you imagine the complaints that would come? Do you know, whenever we gather a group of people, one of the things I love about how God's created us is we have an opinion. Yeah, that's a good thing. You get to think for yourself. And greater, you get to decide for yourself. King Solomon needed wisdom. Somebody say wisdom to lead God's people. We jump through verse 10. The Lord was pleased with Solomon that he had asked for these things. And so in response, Solomon's request was a selfless request. I believe given the opportunity to ask for whatever, we would ask for even more. We would ask for world peace. We would ask for, to live forever. We would ask for no more suffering. We would ask to live in the biggest mansion. If you were a kid, you'll ask for a, to live in a lolly shop. To be the richest in the world. To cure cancer. To marry a prince or a princess. To be king of the world. I want to speak to fathers. Solomon's success was based on David's obedience. Parents, the success of your children mm, is based on your obedience. Who am I talking to this morning? What are, you, what are you permitting? What are you enabling in your life? What is it that you are putting on? Because whatever you're putting on paves the way for the next generation. For us as a church, what is it that we're contending with? If we're going to sit back and relax and not count the cost of the sacrifice, our children will pay 
What about you in the area of obedience this morning? In the area of sacrifice? See, there's so so many problems in the world today that stem from people just looking out for themselves. Problems in nations where leaders look out for themselves and for their own welfare. Problems in churches because they look out for themselves. They're no longer looking out. Problems in our homes because mom and dad, they want to do whatever they want to do for their own benefit and their own comfort without looking after their family and so on and so on. And how cool is God's response? I love this. I've called this the triple stack I will patty burger. Hashtag foodie. The triple stack I will patty burger. I know you're hungry. Burger tonight after the 5 p.m. But patty number one, let's go there. Verses 12, okay, patty number one. I will give you a wise and discerning heart. Never have been or never will be anyone like you. Patty number two. I will give you what you have not asked for. I will give you both wealth and honor so so that there will be no other king like you. I call this the bonus patty. It's kind of like God says, I'll chuck it in if. And God says, and if you walk in obedience and keep my decrees and commands as your father David did, I will give you long life. Does that sound familiar? Ephesians 3.20, to him who's able to do immeasurably more than you will ever ask or imagine. See, when it comes to our sacrifice, the amount is irrelevant. God is more pleased with our obedience. Here's the thing. We sacrifice together. We build together. We trust God together. We pray together. When we invite you to come to prayer meeting, it's not just because it's a statistic. It's not because it's a program. We really believe in the power of prayer to change our city. We really believe in that. We can go and do all right, 100 hungry. Yeah, whoop did he If it's not laced in prayer, it has no power. We're just doing good works. The local Hare Krishna can do that. We honor together. And so when we gather, we honor the presence of God by turning up on time. We honor the presence of God by gathering together and lifting a praise. We honor the Word of God by being responsive to His Word and carrying the weight of it. We excel together. If I win, you win. If you win, I win. We all win together. Because it's about the kingdom. I'm not trying to build Tico's little kingdom. Neither are you. This is about establishing the rule and reign of God in community. 
We advance together. We move forward together. We reach out together. You know I'm doing the heartbeat tape. <laughs> we reach out together because it's about doing this together, together. We give together. We believe together. It's about sacrificing together. Very quickly as I close. Three truths, three lessons I want us to learn from King Solomon's prayer. First one is this, the power of prayer. There's an old French pastor in the 1800s by the name of Adolf Mondo. He says this, prayer sets in motion the whole power of God. Your prayer sets in motion not 5%, not 15%, but the whole power of God. Hmm. When Jesus came to earth, talking to, um, talking, taking on himself the human, uh, humanness, he was fully God, yet fully man, and could perfectly understand how we feel. He spoke to blind Bartimaeus. This is what he said in Mark chapter 10. 10, What do you want me to do for you? Before he ascended back into heaven, he used the same language. In John 16, 23, he says this, In that day, you will no longer ask me for anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Like the father of the prodigal son. He always comes to meet us. He hopes and desires. Our hopes and desires are never as big as His promises for us. We truly honor Him when we make His love the measure of our trust. Second thing. The conditions that our prayers are answered in We need to have full trust in what He's done. Understanding that we are helpless and weak, that our spiritual gifts actually trump our material needs. Prayer is not about material prosperity. It's an extra It's the overflow according to the riches in Christ Jesus. When we pray, He always hears. But it's sometimes not always what He desires for us. But when we ask God for a new and understanding heart, We're asking for the very things that He's promised. So ask God for a new and understanding heart. Because if you lack wisdom, ask. And the third thing is this. The result of Solomon's prayer was not only for spiritual grace that he asked for, but also the wealth and glory of his reign. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom 
and His righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this is my prayer that you love, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and the depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. God says, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. What's your prayer going to be in this season of prayer and fasting? What are you going to be sacrificing? What are the things in your character that needs to be denied? What are you willing to give up? What are the things that God is challenging you to deal with when it comes to your lifestyle? What are those distractions that need to be submitted? Who are the voices that need to be silenced? Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.